0: kids make their way out as Landon continues to play. You turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll have the verses on the screen, or if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the back table. We'd love for you to grab one of those, and you're welcome to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Peter chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 12, 22 weeks we've spent in the book of 1 Peter, and you know, I I hope this morning the thing that we're able to do is we're able to really lean in and kind of pull it all together and really see for each and every single one of us exactly what it is God has for us in the midst of where we are today. Because where you are today is where God intends for you to be midst of mistakes, even in the midst of failures, the point in history at which we live in right now in your life as an individual is exactly where God can and will use you. And I truly believe that's what Peter is writing to when he's writing to a group of people, like we said in this series, a group of people who are hated, a group of people who are under persecution, a group of people who have been accused. Of of civil unrest They've been accused of burning down Rome At this point in history In 64 AD But in the midst of all that Peter is writing to a people He doesn't write to them to tell them to rise up Grab your weapons and let's get to fighting He doesn't say "Let's, let's, let's loot the streets He doesn't say let's just start tearing down The systems above us No, what does he tell them? And we're going to read this morning Three things that Peter says These are the things you need to know that your Christian life needs to be defined, led, guided, directed by these three things. And we're going to read them here this morning together as Peter kind of enters into his final greeting or kind of his exaltation as he finishes up. Many of the biblical writers, they finish their letters this way. But we're going to read this together. Starting in verse 12. It says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, he's talking about the church here, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray Father God, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. God, I thank you that you've created a space on earth where broken people like us can collide with heaven. God, where we can see the glory of who you are, where we can stand and sit in your presence, Father God. Broken people in desperate need of greater things than what we ourselves can provide for ourselves and for the people around us. Father God, let us always come before your throne in these moments, humbled by who you are, grateful for what you've done, God, and obedient to your call in our life. God, we come here before you desperately in need of something. Father God, I just ask your blessing over this time. Lord, bless the words that are spoken. Let it all be true by your word and not by ours. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' holy name. So church, this morning we wrap up week 22 of our study in the book of 1 Peter, 22 weeks. That is commitment. And I appreciate you if you've been along for the ride, if you've read along with us, if you've studied. And listen, this morning's going to be kind of a, a flyover of everything that we've seen where I think and I truly believe where Peter really tries to take the themes of 1 Peter, condense them into these few verses and say, now go. And you know, for all of us, you know, what, what this has been about, what, what what this study has been is it's been how do we as Christians navigate within a cultural context, how do we live in the world we live in when being a Christian now is not cool. It's not not the norm. It's not what is at the centrality of culture, uh, but it's actually marginalized. We're being pushed aside. We're not accepted at the cool kids table anymore. So how do we, as Christians within ourselves, navigate that space? How do we raise children? How do we work jobs while standing firm in our Christian morals and the calling that God has on us? And then not only that, but how do we continue to reach out to that world and invite them into something that the world doesn't want around? And so that's what Peter has been writing to these people and writing to us about this morning. How do we live Christian in, a, in this culture as outsiders? Because for us as Christians to live where we are in this time in history, we are outsiders. The morality, the, the standards, the calling of obedience and commitment that God has called us to, it is never meant to line up with the way of the world. And we are more so than ever in this time in history seeing those divides. And so, for us, we have had to figure out how do we live in that culture, not be affected by it, but continue to be reaching people for its cause. And all throughout this, all throughout this study, that's what Peter has been referencing. And so what has he been telling us? What it means for us to live in a world where things don't function like they should, when governmental systems don't function like they should, when the church doesn't function like it should. We're not innocent when the church doesn't function like it should, when people don't function like it should, when relationships don't function the way they should. You know, what do we do when there's so much wrong and the pressures and the problems of the world are around us and if you're not experiencing it, it's inevitable that, you know, when we say this all the time, you're either coming out of a storm or you're going into a storm, that this world is broken and this brokenness affects us and the ripple effects of sin and Adam's sin uh, through history have affected us and continue to affect us. And so, how do we navigate? The thing that we first have to understand, and where really a lot of First Peter has been, is to help us understand. We we started out here in First Peter one that where we are right now, and the struggles you may be experiencing. And I mean, you know, you know for myself as as a parent trying to raise my. Children, towards Christian morals and, and, and a Christian mindset and disciple them. As you disciple each other as husbands and wives, as you disciple your circles of influence. Maybe it's friends, family, co-workers, whatever it might be. That for all of us, we've had to navigate all of that. But we, the thing that we've had to understand and what we mentioned at the beginning is this. That it is no mistake that you are right here, right now that the family you've been given, the friends you've been given, the circle of influence that you've been given is for a purpose. The struggles that you may be experiencing are for a purpose. Whether they're shaping you or they're shaping the people around you, it is not a mistake. It is not a divine mistake. But He's placed you exactly where He wants you. It is not a mistake. It is not a mess up. But you are and we are meant to be a testimony of the power of God in the midst of struggle. Because remember... Anything that comes against us, any opposition that comes against us is only an opportunity for God to reveal himself. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you may be caught up in right now, God tells us in the midst of our struggles and sin, he says, it is my power that will rescue you from those things. It is my power that will provide for you in those things. And so what we need to understand is that God is revealing to us His power and what He can do to people who are broken and that His grace, the grace of God is given. It is given to broken people, each and every one of us. Broken people in desperate need of something outside of ourselves to fix us. In reality, that's what all the world is grasping for. The world is grasping for fulfillment. The world is grasping for some sort of of stability. Like they're grasping for identity. They're grasping for happiness. They're grasping for whatever can be provided. But what we hold as Christian believers this morning is we, we know where that comes from. We know where our identity, true fulfillment and completion and perfection come from, and that's only in Christ. And that all these other things that we nibble at, they're never going to give us the sustenance that provides us with the fulfillment that we truly need that only comes from God. And that all God has given us has been meant to shape us and to make us into something greater than what we can be on our own. Because all of our experiences, the good, the bad, the hard, the struggles, whatever it might be, the sin we've committed, the sin we've worked through, the sin we've overcome, the sins that continue to ripple throughout our lives, all these things are meant to shape us and to make us into something greater. Because it's only by the pressure around us that we're we're pruned and we're, 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 we're filtering out all these things that we don't need because what the, the struggle does and what Peter has even told us in this book, what the hardships do in our lives is it begins to remove things from our hands that we've grasped a hold of so that we'll have room to grab a hold of who God is and find true fulfillment. Because too often there are other things, lesser things that we grab a hold of, we're holding on to in our lives, right? When God has greater things for us. He has more valuable things for us. He has greater meals for us. We're eating dollar menu and God says, I have filet mignon for you. Right? He says, I have, I, have, I have the main course for you. But unfortunately for a lot of us, and this is where we have to understand, and for us as Christians, you know, the problem with cookie cutter uh, Christianity that says, you know, that it's, that it's easy, that it's that word of faith, like if you love Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen. The problem with that is that it has no answer for suffering. It has no answer for the hardships that we face in our life other than you don't have enough faith. That's why your life is hard. Where the Bible tells us and where Peter tells us the reason your life is hard is because God is making something out of you. God has purpose for you in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that suffering. That suffering is not showing you that God has abandoned you. That suffering is showing you that God is molding you. That God is working on you. That God is, has, 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 has His hand on you in the midst of all those things. But part of that suffering to become righteous is being uncomfortable to be made complete. And so for me as a parent, for you as a parent, for you as a husband, as a wife, as a mentor, as, a, as an employee, as a person in a circle of influence, it is going, going, going to require us to step into uncomfortable spaces to experience this, to see this. And I believe that God has given us three gifts and where I believe that Peter mentions this in these few verses, three gifts that God has given us to navigate this space, to find true fulfillment and holiness that can only come when we have been brought to the end of ourselves. True holiness, true perfection, true completeness that we never attain in this earth while we're alive but that we experience at the right hand of God when we've been forgiven of our sins because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That that only comes, we only see that and experience that when we've come to the end of ourselves and we realize, I can't, I can't do it on my own. I don't have it within me. I don't have the strength. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom. And in that, when we've come to the end of ourselves, we begin to experience these three gifts that God has given us. And the first thing is this, we read in verse 12, is the gift of grace. Peter wraps up this entire book by laying out these things and then he mentions first here the gift of grace. So what does he say? He says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. You know, I love how Peter mentions these other people that are involved in the work he's doing. He talks about Silvanus. He talks about the church of Babylon. He talks about his son Mark. He talks about these people in his life that are so valuable. And within that, He says, he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. You know, there is grace on every page of 1 Peter. That is the theme at which Peter writes. And, And the cool thing about Peter is Peter, more than anyone, had the credentials to write about grace. Why? Because he was educated? No. Why? Because he was perfect? Absolutely not. Why did Peter have the credentials to write about grace, maybe even more so than most people? Because Peter failed miserably. Peter fell flat on his face in in, in his fear and his doubts. Remember when Jesus is being walked to go be uh, crucified and the people come and they look at Peter and they say, Hey, aren't you that guy that hung out with that guy, Jesus? And what did Peter say? No, 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 that wasn't me. In an eyeshot of Jesus, he's denying Jesus. You know, it's one thing for a lot of us to deny Jesus and we say, well, we haven't seen Jesus. Maybe misrepresentation of church people has been the only representation of Jesus we've ever seen. And so we'd say we don't want anything to do with that Jesus. But Peter is standing here and he sees Jesus. He's lived with Jesus. He's walked with Jesus. And what does he do? He denies Jesus. He don't only deny Jesus once, but he gets frustrated and mad and yells and he denies Jesus three times and in that moment makes eye contact with Jesus and immediately knows the wrong that he's done. And so what does he do? He does what most of us would have done and he ran away. He ran away because of his shame, because of his guilt, because of the hurt that he experienced. But what happened? What was he doing? He went back to his old life, right? He went back to fishing. He said, I'm just going to go but what I'm good at. So I'm not good at this Christ-following thing, apparently. How often have we found ourselves in that? We're like, I'm just not good at this Christian thing. I'm going to do other things. I'm going to just live the life that I know. I'm going to do the things that I'm comfortable with. I'm going to be the person that I've been for a really long time before I even knew anything about Jesus because I'm good at that. Even if it's harmful for me, even if it's sinful, even if it drags me into lesser things, into lesser relationships, into lesser experiences. I'm good at that. I know that. I'm going to go there. Just like Jesus does for us. He did for Peter in this moment. What did he do? He stood on the shore and he called out to Peter. And he brought him in and he said, hey, let's have breakfast together. Jesus went after him. And then he, then he questioned Peter. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He gave Peter a chance to acknowledge his love of Jesus. He says, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And what did Jesus tell him? If you love me, then be a leader then do something. I still have a task for you, even though you failed. That is grace. That is why Peter, more than most, had the credentials to write about grace because more than most, Peter had experienced the grace of God. God came after Peter. And he told Peter, I still have work for you to do. And that's the same thing Jesus does for us. When we failed, when we've gone back to our old lives because we think we're better at that than anything else, God has never stopped pursuing us. God has never stopped creating a way for us. God never gave our seat at the table away. He comes and he says, just like he did for Peter, hey, I still have a place for you. I still have a seat for you at my table to feast on the meal that I have. The greater life, the greater experience, the more abundant experience. And so Peter writes about this. In chapter 1, he writes about the uncomfortable grace of sanctification or this changing that God does in us. But often God's grace comes to us in uncomfortable ways. And so that's what he's writing about. That grace comes, but it comes in uncomfortable ways. In chapter 2, we see the grace of a new identity. Where Jesus says, he says, you are a royal priest You know, only specially born people could be priests. But in Christ Jesus, every husband, wife, man, child in Jesus are priests in your circle of influence. It's not about any hierarchy. It's not about who's the most knowledgeable, who's the most uh, well-to-do, who has the most money, who has the most anything. He says, no, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are a priest. You have a new identity. You have a new life in Jesus. That you are God's people, His own possession. And so there's this grace of a new identity. In chapter 3, there's a grace of daily living. That even in the mundane experiences of our life, going to work, you know, 8 to 5s, or your your 7 to 7s, your 10 to 10s, whatever you're working. Throughout the week, he says God has grace in the midst of that. That He carries you through, that He provides for you, that He sustains you. That was in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He presents the awesome grace of God for suffering. That in the midst of our suffering, God has not forgotten us. God has not given up on us. God has not let us go. That it doesn't matter our circumstances, our relationships, our situations, that you're never alone. That there is no experience that the Christian child of God is ever in where you're alone. And then in chapter 5, Peter shifts his focus to the church. You know, and the church has failed, and maybe many of you have been failed by the church in so many ways. You know, and that's the thing we've always tried to do is to not, not kind of flinch at the opportunity to acknowledge where the church has made mistakes, where the church has failed. But even in the midst of its failure, God has grace in that. Just like the book of Hosea, if you've ever read that, it's such a beautiful story of Christ to the church. Where God tells him, he says, your wife is going to be a prostitute and she's going to run out on you constantly. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to go back after her. And she's going to run from you again, and you're going to go after her again. And you're going to, she's going to run from you again, and you're going to go after her again. That is the relationship God has to His church. And listen, the church is faulty. The church is led by people who make mistakes, who are human beings, who are sinful just like you. And the problem is in the church is the moment when those people stop acting like they make mistakes just like you do. We fail. I fail. You fail. You fail. But in this context, we're not pointing people to me. We're not pointing people to a worship team. We're pointing people to a holy God who is your Savior. I can't save you, but God can. That's who I want you to know about. That's who I want you to see. And the thing about this grace and what he is saying right now, when he says this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it, he's acknowledging that grace is our place of current standing. It's not something we're working towards. It's where we are. Grace is where we are. Grace is where we live in. Listen, and there are different kind of Christian denominations that would tell you that there are certain things you have to do to obtain that grace. As a child of God, I'm telling you right now, in this very moment, you stand in as much grace as you would ever get. The difference is, not whether God's given it to me or not, but the difference is, am I embracing it? Am I walking in it? Am I living in it? Am I allowing it to lead God and direct my life or am I living by lesser things? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, by which you are being saved. And I love every time the Bible says that. Because, especially, you know, I, I grew up in a Catholic church, kind of went to Baptist church, and trying to navigate the differences between those things and experience those things. You know, in every kind of religious sect, there's a place at which we communicate that you're saved and that if you're doing anything wrong or if you've made any mistakes, then obviously you weren't saved or like there's all this like lose it, gain it, try to catch it, however you can hold on to it. I love when Paul writes this and he writes this several times, the grace at which you stand is that which you are being saved. Now, let me, let me, let me just say this. What Paul is telling us is there is not a moment in your life where the saving is done. Because if the savings ever been done in my life, then I needed resaving, right? Have you ever lived that where you feel like, man, I need to get resaved. I need to get rebaptized. I need to get like, the, I didn't do it right the first time. I got to redo it this time. Listen, God says when you have put your faith in Christ and you begin down that journey, it is a process that God is saving you. That God never stops saving you. That God never stops rescuing us in the midst of our circumstance. That God never stops working on us. That a lot of us in church, we believe we go down on our knees, we say a prayer, we do a thing. God has saved us. And then the saving's done, and then we begin living our life based off of this moment. Well, then we make, we we, we fail, we fall, we stumble here. And then what does that do for most of us, especially if you grew up in kind of a Baptist type circle? You look back on that and you say, well, this must not have been real, right? I must not have really, God must not have been good enough to rescue me at this point because of what I've done here. I don't know about you, but my God's bigger than that. Listen, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I will continue to make mistakes. I will continue, and let's let's call it what it is, I will continue to sin. I pray that I sin less tomorrow than I did yesterday. And that should be the call of our hearts, that when we take these steps of life, that there's progression. That we move further away from things in our past. We move further away from these vices and these weights. But there are always going to be things on the other side of the door. Every door we walk through, there's going to be an enemy on that side. And you know what? The the bad thing about it is that enemy knows your weakness. That enemy knows where where you'll fail. That enemy knows where he can slide in and slip you up, or he can cause you to doubt, or he can cause you to turn away, or he can cause you to grab a hold of lesser things. But the beautiful thing about it is God is still saving you. That he never stops saving us. That he never lets us go. He never gives up on us. And all he does is he says, hey, I've been here. Just come back. I'm right here. That if you want what I have, I'm right here. I've never gone anywhere. That's the grace that God gives us. That there is grace for every moment. There's grace at work. When you're having a rough day, there's grace at home. When you're trying to raise kids and you're trying to navigate that space. Maybe dealing with with struggles or troubles or whatever it might be. Navigating against the cultural mandates of the world. Whether you're navigating your own failures or your own vices, there is grace for every moment. Grace is not, remember, and we've talked about this, that that grace is not getting what we deserve. Because what do we, and a lot of us, we we would believe this, that I deserve a lot less than what I have. Even if we have very little, we deserve a lot less than what we've had. But when we think about that on the spiritual scope, we don't deserve Christ to die for us. To give himself for me, but he did. And that's grace. That's why we as Christians have the unique experience of grace that no other religious organization claims. That's the uniqueness of the Christian faith, is grace. It's something unearned. It's something that we don't have the ability to obtain. It's something that the people around you are going to spend their entire lives running uphill to get to, only to constantly slip and fall short. But Christ offers us grace points us to hope. And then the second gift that he's given us is the gift of community. I love this verse in verse 14. It says, greet one another with the kiss of love. And in a COVID culture, we, we, the last thing we want to do is be kissing on each other, right? But, you know, in a lot of ways, this, is, this isn't a new thing for the biblical writers. I mean, this is a cultural thing for them. And a lot of people in culture still do this. This is kind of the equivalent of our handshake. You know, they would have thought nothing of this. You know, to talk about this kiss of love or this, this kiss of affection or, 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 or acknowledgement of each other. And it was a very customary act in this culture. Um, and what this is, is it's a sign of cooperation. It's a sign of engagement. It's a sign of appreciation. A sign of love for one another. It's meant to be, and in this space, it's meant to be a sign of a sincere expression of Christian love. Listen, living in a broken world is hard. Raising kids in a broken world is hard. Living a faithful relationship to your spouse in a broken world is hard. Doing your job well and whatever it is in this broken world is hard. Distancing ourselves from sinful habits, being an honorable person. Church, we are not meant to navigate that space alone. The greatest lie among Christians is that you don't need church. That's the greatest lie that we've been told, especially in a day and age where we've had to go more virtual at times. That we've been told that we can have the church experience in our living room by ourselves. We can't. We can't have it. We can't because what the church gives us, because what the church has done for us. Listen, you can listen and the beautiful thing about our age. And there there are some that even I mean, I, I do this, too. You can listen to some of the greatest preachers and teachers in the world, some of the smartest, some of the most entertaining. You can gather all of that and you can experience that. But there is something that it cannot offer you. Is the experience you have when you gather with a group of c- c- people with common experiences, with common struggles, in person, seeing each other, communicating together, feeling the presence of a person near to you that is in the same space you are, that are in as much need as you are. Sitting in the comforts of our home, we, we, can't, we, can't, we can't recreate that situation. Even, even, you know, when we've tried it before, gathering with two or three other people and listening to something virtual, something that we're distant from, a worship experience we're not at. There's too much for us to experience here together. And so the greatest lie that we've ever been told is that we don't need the church. But there are some things that I believe that we let go of if we we begin to adopt that mindset. The first thing is this, is that a Christian's faith is fueled by hearing God's Word. Hearing God's Word in person. There's something beautiful about hearing God's Word. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing, by hearing of the Word of God. And not just a general proclamation of the Word of God, but the Word of God in the context of where you are right now. You know, the beautiful thing about when I preach or when Garen preaches or when someone else within the context of our local church preaches, they preach with us in mind. They preach with who we are, with our struggles in De Quincey, Louisiana and Southwest Louisiana, the things that we deal with. Listen, so and so in whatever state, you know, a thousand miles from here. That preaches to a message to you. Listen, they're going to preach and it's going to be great, but it's not going to be a contextual message for where you are. Only the people that live within the space that you are can give that to you. And this isn't a ploy for like, hey, come listen to me. No, this is just a ploy for being plugged into the local church at which you live and the community at which you live. It's valuable. Invaluable. There's nothing that can take its place. The second thing is this, and kind of goes with the first thing, that hearing God's word from your own leaders is unique to every other encounter with God's proclaimed word because it's within the context of people that you know. With broken people just like you. You know me. I mean, a lot of you, some people I've gone to school with, I've lived around, I've raised kids around, I've gone to church with. I mean, we know each other. There's no, I'm, and I love that about this situation. If I went and pastored a church somewhere else, or was a leader at another church somewhere else, I could put on a show, right? I could, I could be a completely different person. But listen, I can't do that with you. You know me. And I'm never going to try to hide who I am or if I've failed or if I've made mistakes. Listen, this is all all that it is. Because we want to be a people built on authenticity and honesty. This is what it is. There's no sense in hiding anything. But that's how it's supposed to be. That's the uniqueness of a contextual preaching that we do in the local church when we gather together here. The third thing is this, to never underestimate the power of personal connection. Personal connection with other people and in a digital world, we have so lost that, right? We have so lost, I mean, m- m- most of our communication is, is digital. You know, we're, we're liking stuff on Facebook, we're sending, you know, messages, we're, we're commenting, we're doing all these things which they're not bad within themselves, but for a lot of us, that is the most personal connection we have is what we do in the digital space, and I truly believe that the digital space, if it becomes our main mode of personal or our main mode of connection, then we will we will be missing something in our life. And that is a personal interaction with people in in the context of our lives that, that we need to know people, to experience people, to see what it is they have in their life and to learn from them and to grow and support someone else. That's a place in which we use our gifts and within these personal connections that we can provide for each other, and we can support each other, and we can encourage and pray with and for each other. And the fourth thing is this, is that spiritual fruit comes from hearing with others. That is, the, 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 this gathering is meant to be the, the launching pad for everything we do together, for everything we do in our families' lives, as we step out into our workspaces, as we struggle through life. That, that fruit is cultivated from what we do here together with each other and for each other. So God has given us a gift of community. Listen, I say this all the time, and and, and this just really sticks with me, this idea that, that the enemy works in isolation, but Christ works in community. I mean, even God within Himself is communal in the sense of the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. It's this communal experience that, we, that, that even from the beginning existed. And then God brought that in when He created Adam. And then He said, it was not good for man to be alone. So He created another to be with man. And so there was this community that even started in the beginning. And God intends for us to function in that same aspect of a community. So then the third and final gift is this, church the gift of peace and he says in verse 14 he says peace to all of you who are in Christ and so this peace that he sp- speaks about here is gospel rest that there's a confidence that comes when we know and understand who God is In the gospel at which we preach, the good news that we preach about who Jesus is, that we rest in his sovereignty or his power and his control, that we rest in his wisdom, even in the midst of our brokenness, that we don't rest because we are strong. We don't rest because we are wise. We don't rest just because we're in control. No, we rest because God is powerful. We rest because God is in control, that it doesn't matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter the, the the struggles that we experience. It doesn't matter the, the, the culture we live in. It doesn't matter what our government does. It doesn't matter what the people around us do. It doesn't matter how they push back or they oppress. It doesn't matter because God is in control. And, and, and if I can have confidence in that, then I can have hope beyond the hurts. Whatever that hurt is, whatever that struggle is, that there's hope beyond that. Because I know that my God will not let this go by without using it for my good. God uses every situation for my good. And there's a peace that we can only find in God for that. Otherwise, it's just hurt for hurt's sake. It's just disappointment for disappointment's sake. But only God can take the mess of our lives and make something out of it. And with that, we find peace. With that, we find rest. Not in ourselves, not in our own abilities, but in who He is. That He called us out of humanity to be a royal priesthood. He called us his own. He called us those who would have his inheritance, that would have his glory, that would have his his goodness, that he would give those things to us. We are a people of his compassion, a people of his possession, a people of his attention. In Christ, you have, we have a new identity. And in that, we can find peace. We can find rest. And, you know, we take that And you know, and and as I raise my children, you know, as I raise my children from that identity, there's a peace that comes. Because I can know that even at the end of myself, where I fail to be the father that I would hope to be, where I fail to be the husband that I would hope to be, that in Christ, He carries me beyond the end of myself. That He carries and He does beyond what I can finish. That only Christ will finish what, what I can't. And that's for all of us, in all the spaces that we navigate, that we believe. You know, I, I remember being 19 years old and when my oldest son was born and thinking, there is no way that we can do this. There is no way that we can do this. And praise God, 14 years later, he's still alive. You know, like, like we've, we've made it. But not by me, not by my wife, but by, by the grace of God. And and we can continue to navigate from this day forward knowing that the peace of God, no matter what situation comes ahead of us, that God is still in control. That God is going to accomplish what He intends to accomplish if we would just pursue Him. If we would just rest in that peace that God has taken us by the hand, that He has pulled us to His heart, and He says, You are mine. Like we sang about this morning, You will never let us go. That he won't lose us because of the difficulties we face. He will not let us go because of rejection. That he will not let go of us because of the attacks of Satan. No matter the broken world. No matter the broken church. No matter the brokenness that we experience. That there is no brokenness that is too broken for God to redeem or rescue us from. He says, you are mine. You are mine. Listen, there is so much broken around us. So much unrest So much of that is not at peace. The one thing, the one place that we can constantly come back to and find peace is in God, in Christ Jesus. And so uh, as the worship team comes, and we're going to kind of end with a a time of worship and response, just to sing out to who God is. And, you know, we don't do a typical kind of, uh, you know... um, invitation time, per se. We just like to end in worship. You know, based off of everything we've heard, that we worship God for who He is, that maybe we have a little bit more of an understanding of what God's done for us in our lives, or even if we're on the outside of that, what God is inviting us to. And so this is what I want us to do this morning. As we, as we kind of consider this, as we kind of uh, line our hearts up to be at this moment of worship together, could we, could we just for a second, you know, as we've talked together and kind of experienced this communally... Could we close our eyes? Just take a moment and be a little individualized for just a second before we sing together as a community. That if you're here this morning as a Christian, that we would make this, kind of begin this process where we're thinking, God, where am I not living in the gift of your grace, in the gift of the community you've provided, or, or living day to day in the gift of the peace that you've given, that only you can give. That you would in this moment, all of us together in this moment, if you're a Christian here this morning, you would ask, God, what are the, the walls that are standing between me and experiencing that gift? You know, if it's the gift of your grace, God, is there, is there shame that I'm holding on to? Is there sin that I'm holding on to? Is there anger or bitterness that I'm holding on to? know the gift of community is there am, am I still angry at church people for what church people have done to me that's keeping me from experiencing what the community of Christ has that, that, that's keeping you from, from seeing the love that a Christian community is supposed to be for each other break down those walls, praying that God would help you to break down those walls. Or maybe the last thing is, is the peace that only God can provide as you navigate work life, family life, relationship life, to know that God is in control and that it's in his goodness that he provides a way, that it's in his goodness that he reveals to us things that we desperately, desperately need. If you're a Christian this morning, could you begin to kind of reconcile with those things, praying through those things, asking God to reveal to you those weak spots or where there's been walls or barriers put up for you to experience the grace or the community or the peace that only He can offer? Or maybe you're here this morning and you'd say this, that I don't know that grace. I don't know that rest. I don't know that peace. I don't know that kind of community. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have doubts or fears. I would would plead with you this morning to do this. To cry out for that grace. To cry out for that rest, that peace, that community. That you would say, I don't know. You, God, I don't know your grace, but please help me, rescue me, draw me to your heart, make me one of your own. I want that, I want to see that, I want to know that. The Bible says that he has a place for each and every one of us at his table. And not only is that that, that place prepared, but he says that that table is prepared before my enemies so that our enemies can see That God has provided a meal of preparation, of provision for us. That it doesn't matter the armies that come against us. That God has provided a way. Almost to rub it in the face of the enemy. To say it doesn't matter who we've been or what we've done. There's a place for us at his table. So come. God says, lay your burdens on me and I will give you rest. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says that that way may be hard, that that way may be narrow, but at the end of it, it's life eternal. So as we begin to reconcile and think about these things, I want to ask us to pray together as we come to this moment of worshiping before our holy God. Father God, would you just reveal to us as believers this morning, where is it? Where are the walls that are in our way? God, what are we being built on that are lesser things? God, what is the space at which we need to let go to begin to see the gift of your grace? God, the gift of your community that you've given us in, in our Christian brothers and sisters, even in all its faults, even in all its struggles. God, let us see that community. God, as a Christian this morning, what is, what is keeping me from knowing that? Father God, And what is keeping me from experiencing the peace? that comes only through your love, only through knowing who you are, the sovereignty of your work, the grace that you provide. Lord, for those this morning who would say, I just don't know that. I've never known that. I've never experienced that. I've never received that. Father God, I pray you give courage and confidence to cry out, Lord, I want it. Even if I don't have all the answers right now, I want it. I want you to begin to reveal those things to me. Show those things to me. Let's begin that process so that I can begin being saved from the mess that I've left or the mess that I'm in. Whatever it might be, Father God, I want that in you. Father God, let us see that, God, and let, let confidence come over that one. God, maybe they've denied you for a long time, but Father God, let them hear from you today. I know you. God and give us the confidence this morning to sing in that grace and that beauty. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, stand with us and join us as we worship that holy God this morning.